Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Chaba. I'm Stacy. And I'm Cheesy. So for today's topic, we are going to tackle end-to-end tests. Let's start with the statement and let's see what you guys think of this statement. End-to-end tests provide an illusion of safety. I think that's very true. I, and I think uh, organizations develop this suite of end-to-end tests. They begin to they begin to trust, and it becomes kind of anchored in their in their culture. And it's like there's there's a thing. It's it's maybe a little bit sacred. We trust it. We think it it's got our back. And um, you know, it we recognize it takes some work to maintain, and and sometimes it fails, and we don't know why, <laughs> but things still seem to work. And, and, but, but we still kind of end up trusting it, right? There's this foundation of trust. The challenge there is it's, it's, of course, so darn slow. And so when you, when you step into, I think, trying to help folks um, see testing sooner, they, they are getting um, feedback from testing sooner. You know, I find sometimes they, they just keep, keep kind of going back to it. I think the illusion comes in where um, quite often I, I see like, um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's got a like three, 4,000 tests in it. And when I ask folks sometimes, Oh, well, what's in it? How do you, how do you know what's in it? And they um, often, well, we've got, you know, all these test cases and, and I, I look at the test cases and I, do you understand what those are? <laughs> how do these relate to the product? And, and I think these are the ties that start to get undone a little bit over time. Um, the established trust and the drift between maybe what, what is the shape of the product and what is the shape of the tests that test the product. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I completely agree with uh, everything Stacy just said, but I've got a couple of things I'll, I'll add to that. First of all, I personally don't believe it's possibly possible. Sorry, to adequately test a system end to end, I have never seen that happen. Uh, largely because it's coming from the outside. Ninety percent of what's on the inside almost never gets touched. Oh, it might get executed, but it doesn't get tested. That that's probably the first challenge. But the second challenge that I think is even bigger is not only does it run slow, as Stacy said, and it takes a long time to get feedback. But by their very nature, we get feedback typically very late in the overall workflow. If you think about end-to-end tests, they, they typically are written toward the tail end of a feature delivery, which means that the UI has to be there. The services have to be there. If you have some back-end dependencies, they all have to be there as well. And if we're waiting until that point to try to start testing things, we're waiting way too long. Uh, I'll even go as far as, as talking about, you know, the the things that make these tests very unappealing, which is the brittleness, the, the brittle nature of them, the fact that they fail uh, problematically, the fact that there are, in some cases, are significant test data requirements uh, that, that, that exist, and the fact that often this idea of environment instability gets blamed on the test whenever it actually is Uh, all too often, unfortunately, the tests themselves that are unstable. So because of that, uh, I'm of the opinion that these should probably almost never be used. I mean, there are some circumstances where I think that they can be used well or successfully, but uh, 
in the overwhelming majority of times, I would steer people away from writing these. I think of a, a little ad hoc metric that I, I sometimes use because they're, the tests are so big, right? And and if you try to ask the question, what what exactly are you testing here? Uh, you know, quite often it's testing so many things at the same time. And it's like, well, what does the test failure mean? And how long does it take you to figure out what a test failure means? I, I find that's an interesting metric to start to talk to folks about. Because if, if there's a test failure and it takes them a day to figure out what exactly went wrong with it, uh, how, how helpful is that? Even beyond the, uh, you know, how long it took to even get the test suite run, um, then there's all this sort of um, um, investigation that it prompts. And, and when wouldn't it be nice if a test actually told you what, what was actually wrong? Yeah, it's interesting what you guys describe about the environment. Uh, I had one, uh, one engagement where uh, a client where the applic- our application had to interact with about 12 downstream kind of services or systems. There was never a point in time, any point in time in the day when all 12 were up in the test environment. I do think there is value in testing end-to-end, fully integrated. I believe that there is very little value in automating that. If I can have everything together in an environment, whether it be production or maybe another environment, uh, some really focused uh, risk-based exploratory testing uh, in a fully integrated space, uh, is is very, very valuable. Trying to automate that all of a sudden takes it to a level of complexity and a level of unreliability that I personally am unable to accept in the continuous delivery world. If it's so obvious that these end-to-end tests are, are not adequate to to do whatever maybe they're advertised to do or maybe what, what they people are hoping to do, then yet why uh, organizations from small to big have this fetish with these with these end-to-end tests almost. Well, one thing I see is um, we can't test thing, we can't test a thing until the thing exists, right? And 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 it kind of getting pushed to the the end of of stuff. The separation of roles that we've had historically within organizations has really led to different kinds of specialization in different places. And the folks have kind of grown into this, this sort of automation, which they, they may or may not be comfortable with. It's, it's a different way of doing things. And it's definitely going to stress different reflexes. And, and they, but, they, but they're still doing it at the same point in time where they, they're, they're testing this black box thing, right? They're, they're testing the thing that is done. And they can't test the internals of it. They're still just testing it around the edges. So they've got all this new power and capability in, in modern sort of test automation and stuff like that. But we kind of still have all these challenges around visibility inside and, and the, 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 the durability of those tests. You know, the, the interesting thing is, is in a lot of spaces, the testing role has really matured and, and has brought us a lot of things that uh, some time ago we could never have dreamed of doing, you know, which, which are which are great. But in this case, what has happened is that, you know, some time ago we decided that our, our testers need to write code, you know, to, because these are manual tasks. And so 
We basically took those manual test scripts, or in some cases, we, we got wrote better scripts. But the types of tools that they use are tools that don't require them to understand the code that's underneath of it. You treat it like a black box, you know, and you, and you come in it from the outside, you know. And, and um, we've known for a while that that wasn't good, you know, but so many companies run 10 to 20 years behind the, 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 the knowledge that we have today. And so there are lots and lots of teams out there right now that for the very first time, they're starting to get automation in place. You know, the other thing about those separation of roles is that unfortunately we still have way too many companies that don't hold developers accountable for quality. So when, you know, they don't insist that developers make sure that their code work. Instead, they insist that developers finish things quickly and pass it off to somebody else whose job it is to make sure it works. And so, again, that's kind of driven that a little bit. And then, thirdly, uh, I've seen some cases where, you know, developers discover Selenium. It's a new shiny toy. And so they want to rush out and write lots and lots and lots of these as well not realizing uh, the the implications, even though it's been spoken about for a long time. Well, what, what I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put something out there. So what about the notion that well, developers can't test their own code? Developers work in a, in an optimistic fashion, you know, they're, they're there to make it work and testers are there to break it. And so if you've got the optimistic mindset, how could you possibly be good at testing? Yeah, that's 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 a ridiculous idea. That's like uh, if I hire a plumber to come, uh, oh, that plumber can't possibly make sure his his work uh, because he did it. He needs to leave and have another plumber come in to test, or someone else come in, a plumbing tester to come in and test it. You know, or or the auto mechanic who fixed my car, he can't possibly know. So I don't want him to test drive it afterwards to make sure it's working right. I want somebody else to you know. Uh, that that that's an idea that was used for a long time, and I, I think it was politically driven. You know, we we have to justify our our, our people. I think and so. Uh, I've actually never found it to be true. Well, I have found it to be true that developers don't test their code. You know, we and we we because we tell them that we don't expect them to do it. You know, we can't expect them to do it. Then they don't do it. But the, all of the cases and the companies that I've worked at where they expected developers to in, to deliver, you know, defect-free code or code that's of a very, very high quality, the developers learn how to do it. Let, let me put a question to you guys, because I'm pretty sure there are, there are companies out there where they have some, some code, and that code is sometimes never been tested automatically, right? So how, how should this, these companies start? Because today, most likely... Uh, the 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 first thing that they would do is they would pick up one of these out one of these end to end automation tools right It'd be selenium be cypress like th- th- there are a few of them out there and they would start writing these end to end tests right this is this is what what typically happens nowadays are there any alternatives in this in the in this case First of all, uh, I think that trying to test everything end to end is not the right choice. But what we can do is we can test all of a specific layer 
of an architecture together. So let's let's take uh, a typical app where you maybe have like a smart uh, front end, like an Angular or, or React front end of some sort. Uh, you have maybe some services in the middle tier, and maybe you have some other services or databases or things behind those services, you know, and on and on. So I think what you can do is you can start by testing at those individual component levels, but where we would use mock tools to mock out the interactions with its dependencies. And by separating and by separating it out from its dependencies and being able to control and manage the data through those mocks, we create stability for us to write a few of those types of tests, which aren't necessarily as much about testing that system as they are around building out a safety net so that we can go in after we get a few of those in place and start to refactor the system to get good, clean, lower-level tests in place. So uh, that would be uh, one approach you could take. And I think these days there's a lot of modern tooling that will help in, in that kind of thing, you know, I think of tools like Pact or I think of tools like Cypress that are that are absolutely kind of thought of around um, either the contract between two things or the um, uh, the contract in the case of Cypress between the, the web app and, you know, whatever's on the other side of the XML HTTP request or what have you. Uh, 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 the thing that um, I think you got to be real careful with stuff like that is we, we, Thinking about well, what are you still? What are you testing? And and one thing that um, that I think is a, a useful tool is to understand when you're when you're testing things from a developer's perspective, or you're testing things from an end user or business perspective. Because um, quite often these tests end up very technical, and they still do mostly just characterize that one layer. So in, in thinking about them, when you when you reach that point where, you know, I think of that as a characterization test. And so, it, you know, in my mind, I don't like to keep them for very long because they, they can still be pretty hard to maintain. I like to, you know, do something in its place that has um, a purposefully, that has a specific focus. So if, if I want developer-facing tests, then, you know, great. Now that we got a little bit of regression safety, how do we organize some nice developer-facing tests that give the developers confidence in the things that they write? Let's assume that this organization went down the wrong path and they developed all these end-to-end tests, right? And and now they have this, actually, I've seen this where a test ran, I believe, four hours, right? Like I've, I've seen this with my, with my own eyes. 2,000 tests, we, we all probably seen it at one point in our careers, right? So this organization have these end-to-end tests, but no unit tests, right? No, no, uh, no component tests. They're very brittle. They fail a lot. Sometimes they everyone know, yeah, yeah, that that part always fails, or this part always fails, or 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 whatnot, right? So we have these uh, these conversations. So what can this organization do? How can they? What can they do in this case? Cheesy. So I've had a couple of cases like that fairly recently. And uh, in both cases, I I took a similar approach. The first thing that that we would do is we would go through those tests. And undoubtedly, a large number of the tests that that are there have lost their relevancy or or that they they don't have any critical uh, 
uh, testing capability. For example, one, one of the, the more recent ones, they had lots and lots and lots of tests that literally went through and just checked to make sure things were on a page. You know, and because it was Canadian, they also looked at content in English. Then they had a secondary set that went through in French and checked that. And whenever we talked about it, you know, looking at the UI and visual inspection was something that happened at multiple levels in the uh, workflow already. So we agreed right away there really is no value in having those. So or, or there were other ways to achieve that. So so we were able to get rid of those. And then we ended up with a core set of tests that they believed were valuable. Uh, the first step, we, we went through them one at a time. And, and what we did is we started with the ones that were the most brittle, the ones that fell frequently or quite regularly. And the first thing that we did is we went through and actually looked at what exactly is being tested here. I can tell you 99% of the code isn't testing anything. Uh, or, in, and unfortunately, in some cases it is where it shouldn't be, but it's more setting up so that it can test the thing that it's trying to test, whether it be entering data, navigating through pages, all that type of stuff. But eventually you get out to say, what exactly is this thing testing? And usually it's not much, okay? And so then what you can do is you can go out and say, okay, do we have unit tests that test this exact same thing? In both of the cases where I've done this in the last two years, uh, it half of the time they did. Half of the time there were actually unit tests there that were testing that thing. And in that case, we were able to delete that Selenium test and not worry about it anymore. In the other half of the cases where they weren't, we said, okay, great. What what tests do we need to write to make us comfortable to get rid of this? And then we wrote those unit tests or a component test of some sort. And so uh, it's painstaking. It takes time. Uh, that's part of why we focused on where the big pain was first, which were the tests that fell. But in both cases, that was not uh, that straightforward uh, because tests that were failing now, two weeks from now, might be a different set of tests failing. So. When we go back to like what is the illusion of the end to end tests, right? It, isn't that really the source of the illusion? Oh, oh, look, it wasn't testing what we thought it was, <laughs> and so um, that that safety that we thought we had, it, it can be a little bit off putting to to investigate that a little too closely, right? I think that is a really important important part of the story. So pretty much what. Uh, we are all recommending here is that try to focus your tests into the system or into the parts of your application that you really want to test and don't get seduced by the illusion of end-to-end tests. Just because a test runs, it doesn't necessarily mean that is actually giving you any meaningful feedback about the quality of your application. And this concludes today's Continuous Delivery Podcast.